Get ready. Three, two, one, zero. You are listening to the Fantasy Joe's Podcast. Fantasy Joe's Podcast. Your weekly dose of fun and unique fantasy football talk with a focus on dynasty. And now, here are your hosts, Ryan Livergood, Trey Barrett, and Will Greenwood. This is Ryan of the Fantasy Joes. We are not going to waste any time. This is part two of our conversation with Matt Waldman, staff writer for Football Guys and creator of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. If you missed part one, go back and check it out. But here we jump into our conversation about 2018 rookies with Matt Waldman. We should talk about some of these rookies because, sure. um, you know, we, we are just a few weeks, weeks away from the draft. And I guess where I'll start, um, I, I, one of the things I want to talk about and say that I appreciate about your process is how you focus more on what a player is right now versus what that player can become. And thus wide receivers like Equinemius St. Brown and, and Cortland Sutton, they're ranked lower by you compared to most other experts. So I guess what's your philosophy in taking guys like that with this, you know, theoretically this tremendous upside, um, d- is it roster dependent if you're, you know, not a contender, do you tend more to gamble on Cortland Sutton versus if you're the stacks team? Or does that even come into play? Guys like that, you just let someone else take them and decide, okay, a couple years down the road, right before they developed, I'll try to grab them cheap. What's your philosophy? Sure. I mean, for me, it's, you know, part of when you look at Cortland Sutton and Nick Winnemius St. Brown is that you kind of have to look at the landscape of where these guys, what their grades are for my system. Because rankings as I joke about saying that rankings suck and but we need them anyway is that you know I have 20 I have over 24 receivers who have a grade of over 80 on my um, depth of talent well a a grade of 80 is a contributor talent I mean and they could play right away and produce right away for you in the right situation Um, so you know those two guys are pretty close to that or at that level it just happens to be a class where the grades are very tightly um, put together and I didn't want to fudge just so I said oh yeah he's going to be in my top 10 because that's and then I'm not describing the player accurately then I'm going to have to like lie to you and say that oh yeah he catches the ball extremely well and makes contested catches yes he can make contested catches but he also has a bad technique with how he uses his hands and you know, tends to catch more with the right hand and have his palms hit the ball instead of his fingertips, or that he tends to try and clap onto the ball as opposed to catch it with that diamond technique. And these things don't project well immediately to the NFL until he gets some work on a jugs machine and, and really puts in the effort so it becomes more second nature to use the correct technique all the time and actually get both fingertips from both hands on the ball. Um, and that's something that, you know, I'm sure some, there are, or I don't want to say that. I, I won't say that about folks, but I'll just say that I know that it would be easy to be tempted to look at some of that and go, well, this guy has him rated here. This guy has him rated there. And maybe I can just fudge this a little bit and put him up a little bit higher. Um, and so, you know, for me, I look at them and I say, they're still graded high enough that I can see how they become productive starters. So you look at the landscape, and I think in this particular sense, I, this is the best running class I've ever graded, running back class I've ever graded. There's like seven quarterbacks here that could become starters in this league. There's a couple of good tight ends. 
And then there's this log jam of wide receivers who were, I've got 24 of them who really, if I graded it, you know, one to three things differently, it could have all been reversed. So which, which, which positions am I going to focus on early in the rounds? I'm going to posit, I'm going to focus on the running backs. I'm going to focus on maybe the top quarterback and maybe one of the top tight ends. And I'll take whoever's left at receiver, you know, at this stage, because there's nobody that I'm looking at going that guy. I need to have. There might be one or two that I feel really good about getting, but I'm not going overboard there. So to me, yeah, Cortland Sutton, Equinemia St. Brown, people are going to be like, that's a guy, and they might become that. But am I going to, if I have multiple picks in the first round, it's a running back fire sale for me. It's not, you know, wide receiver isn't even in the equation. I don't even care if those running backs fail. I know that looking at what I did is. You know, looking at this, I'd go, this is the best running back class I've ever graded. It may not pan out that way, but I'm going to go by my plan. And my plan is, is that there's potentially 12 guys here who could be really good starters if they get that opportunity. And I'm going to pick as many of them as I can because if I get one, if I get one who's going to deliver like, you know, a top three back for the next five to seven years, I don't care who I picked in the rest of the, in the draft. I don't really care because if I end up with that one guy who I'm set at for the five years, I'll find, I'll find ways to acquire other talent. And my, my favorite part about listening to you and reading the, the, the scouting profile is you look at individual behaviors and that's the, the one part that separates it. Regardless of what your quarterback play is, regardless of what your team is, you can look at you, is, is you, you tout all the time is you can only chart what somebody is doing on their individual basis. And that's what, that's what everything's based on. Like, the idea of like either a running back can hit a hole and that hole can be three feet wide or that hole can be six feet wide. And those offensive linemen can be different and they can either read it and hit it like sooner or later in something else. And you try uh, like basically at your best to quantify that with what goes into the, the scouting portfolio. And I really appreciate that as far as just another, it's such a great perspective because college players and analysis and what they're doing and what they're going to become because they're, these dudes are maturing into men and what they're doing, but at, at the base, I, I like the idea of like you can only you can, they can only do, you can only chart on what they're doing right now based on their individual performance versus others and versus what you've seen, and I don't think that is uh, I, I don't know touted enough. I, I just really I really like that that idea and the platform that it's based on. Well, I appreciate that, William, and I, and I think that that's really that's just part of. I think when it comes to evaluating talent, that you want to be in a situation where you eliminate much of the external, as many of the external factors as possible and look at what's actually that person can control and running back is where that shows up really well because it's, it's tested out true for me over the years when you can look at a player who, you know, averages less than two yards a carry and have a really high grade on that game. And I've had that several times with guys like Matt Forte, um, you know, Ahmad Bradshaw, you know, who else is the, the kid, Joseph Adai. Those are examples of guys who, who had those types of games or even Ray Rice looking way back in the day. And it's because if you look at their decision-making, the decision-making process, regardless of the outcome, that's what really matters there. So that's how I try to grade. So we're involved in um, this Dynasty ER EDP draft. So this is a draft with other you know, dynasty experts, people that are really into fantasy football. And one of the things you talked about um, really spoke to me a, a, about the wide receivers in this class, because 
we're we're right now the one we're involved in is going into the fourth round, top of the fourth round, and guys like Trey Quinn, Jaleel Scott, Antonio Callaway, uh, Dylan Cantrell. The list goes on and on. Richie James is still on the board. Um, Justin Watson, one of my favorite guys, is still on the board. So that really speaks to what you're talking about. You know, you can take those take those guys in the fourth and fifth round and feel pretty good about those guys versus taking one of those wide receivers like late first, early second. So I think that really does, does hold true when you look at how some of these mock drafts are going. Yeah. I think sometimes you just kind of look at it. You have to kind of look at it just holistically and what happens every year. And, you know, every year I write an article of football guys where I'm basically talking about, look at the, at the end of your draft, realize that when it comes to the trade market, here are the positions that are the most and least liquid. And that should help inform your draft position, your draft decisions anyway, because wide receivers are the most liquid capital when it comes to, to trading. You, you know, you can add a wide receiver or two to help sway people into a deal. People are always willing to swap wide receivers. Um, people also, everyone wants a, a good uh, an elite quarterback, an elite t- tight end, or a starting running back. But they're the hardest ones to be able to trade away um, or to be able to um, – not to trade away, but they're, they're the ones the hardest to acquire. So you, you kind of know that really how do I build a team then? You know, you look at your roster, and if you're starting from zero and it's just a startup draft, then you're thinking, well – the easiest ones to acquire off the waiver wire are going to be wide receivers. I might luck out on a running back early, but I can get a functional tight end every week. Heck, I could probably stream tight ends and and do a reasonable job playing matchups nowadays. Um, quarterbacks, it would be nice for me to get a good quarterback, um, but as long as they're healthy, you know, we've seen the theories there that have played out with you know what you can do with the baseline level quarterback and the separation between them. So really for me, it's about – running backs and wide receivers and that means yeah start early with running backs and take them early and often and when you can and wide receivers you know you should be able to 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 build a roster together it just depends also on your lineups you know if your your wide receivers are on equal footing or greater footing than your running backs because of the number of players you can put in your starting lineup versus you know wide receiver versus running back then there's a there's a time where you can look at that and just go I'm going to go heavy on wide receivers and as long, and I'll go, you know, later on running backs because I can, you know, if I just hit on one, I'm going to be good to go if I'm strong everywhere else. So, you know, there's definitely pro, you know, pros and cons to each setup and just depends on the environment that you're in. Yeah. You can look at the waiver wires on dynasty leagues, you know, unless it's like a, you know, 30, 35 man roster. I mean, you can go on your waiver wires right now and see 90% of the wide receivers that were taken in the late second through fourth round of rookie drafts last year, the Chad Williams, the Ardarius Stewart, the Josh Reynolds, they're all on waivers because they did nothing. And last year this time, or last year, you know, immediately following the rookie draft, people were wanting second round picks for them. Um, And so uh, there's a lot of truth to that. And people, people give up on those wide receivers pretty quick. You know, I, Matt, I tweeted out earlier tonight, I've been, this is the first year that I've consumed the um, RSP and have just been incredibly impressed. Um, I, I feel like f- the the resources I've looked at, you know, I, I'm sure there's other people that would have an argument, but I feel like it's really the best, most comprehensive 
source of data. It's not like you say, this is the order in which to draft these guys. You're enabling people with a lot of information. Um, the knowledge is there. I love that it's, you know, you can, you can spend probably as much time as you want to in that resource. And, and I, you know, for all our listeners, even though there's not, um, you know, there's our families and about six or eight other people. Not true. Uh, but I, I really do. For, yeah, no, it's no, it's not true. But for all our listeners, I want to encourage them to to go out and to to buy the RSP. I think it'll pay dividends for them in their rookie drafts. But not just for them, but for me too. I'm curious, what does it look like moving forward? Since this is the first year I've I've had the RSP, what does it look like moving forward as far as post draft? So for me and you talked about the depth of this class. There's been so many times we've been discussing, you know, what, who do I like better? Sony Michelle, uh, Rashad Penny, or Nick Chubb. And it's kind of like, man, it's so hard without knowing their landing spot and draft capital. And I feel like I'm beating a dead horse. It's always landing spot, draft capital, landing spot, draft capital. What kind of impact do those two factors have on um, the, the, the spin? Obviously it's not going to change what you saw on film, but, but what kind of uh, changes do you make? What, what does your post-draft updates to the RSP look like, and how do you incorporate those factors once the draft actually happens? I like to joke that nobody really plays in dynasty leagues. They just say they do because, <laughs> as you can see, with the wide receivers sitting in the waiver wire, <laughs> that they lose patience after a year. And so it's really they, – they run – most – Folks I know run their their dynasty leagues like they're playing in a redraft league because they have no patience whatsoever. And I can understand that to a degree. Um, but so for me, it used to be when I sold the, you know, I brought the um, post-draft into the spectrum. I got a slew of dynasty owners. First year, they're like, can I just buy the post-draft? I'll pay you just as much to, to buy the post-draft. And I'd say, no, I'm not doing that. It's not a, it's a package deal. Well, why is that? I'm like, because I do all that painstaking work in the pre-draft and no one's going to read that. And there's a reason why I did that because I found that talent oftentimes wins out and that, that, and that there's, and that when you play the waiver wire and that when you look at two, three, four years down the line, you have an edge because everyone forgot about, you know, Josh Reynolds. Everyone forgot about, uh, you know, Marvin Jones. Everyone forgot about some player that, you know, that initially didn't work out. They didn't read they, – they forgot about Case Keenum. You know, I mean, they even if Case Keenum isn't even like a highly rated guy, you can look at some, the narratives that are in there – not narrative, but just kind of the write-up, the profile and go – okay, I can see how this guy might succeed and where that, that would fit in. Why not take a chance on him and get a cheap, you know, cheap buy on that end? So for me, those types of things were important, and I just I pushed back on that. And invariably, you know, three, four years later, people were like, yeah, the, the, the post-draft's great for the first year or two because it kind of gives me that immediate one- to two-year outlook and where that might be in their first contract. and He's giving me the more, you know, immediacy, how they're going to play right now or how that's going to fit right now. And, and then also gives me the update on how the market's doing. Like here's – because my cheat sheet basically is like here's my ranking of where I got them based on team fit and everything and talent. And I may have Dante Pettis, my wide receiver one. 
I may have him ranked first. We know he's going in what the third or fourth round right now. So, you know, I may, you know, in dynasty drafts, well, that may go up a little bit now to the point that he's maybe a second round pick, but I can kind of look at ADP between the draft and that first week that I put out the RSP and say, here's where diehard fantasy owners are drafting before, you know, before and just after the draft, I differentiate that ADP and say, here's the sweet spot between where I rank them and where people are drafting them and you can take them somewhere here. So it kind of gives you an idea of, again, the formulate your draft. And like, I liked Isaiah Crowell and said he was my number one back in that class, even though I knew he was going to be an undrafted free agent. Literally said pretty much that. So, you know, at that time, he was, you could take him like 26 to 35th, depending on the league. And, and that way I could give you a spot to say here, you might have to, you can reach a little bit, but you're not like totally deflating the value by going there because of what I think. So that's kind of how I look at it. And invariably, again, talent often wins out. So people who, you know, people are like, you know, all into the the post-draft find themselves looking back at the pre-draft and going, this guy's on my waiver wire. What did Matt have to say about him? You know, and, and then go, you know, what? I might pick him up and add him to my roster. And next thing you know, really, you, you know, I, I should advertise it this way, but really the RSP is your ability to basically get, you know, you know, four to six, you know, first and second round picks in one over the course of two to three years, because that you're going to get guys who are first and second round picks who are sitting on waiver wires and you're going to get to clean up and scavenge them. And I love the consumption aspect of it because people want rankings. They want PPR, half point or standard, all these rookie rankings because they don't want to do anything on top of it. And I, I, I mean, we're the fantasy Joe, so we try to bring, I'd like to say at least some more obscure players in, into light in what we do, just so that you're not hearing everything you hear and everything else. And I, was, I, you know, I don't want to give anything away about your RSP. When you talk about like a player like Dante Pettis, who's a really highly graded wide receiver and a guy who's a great punt returner, but he didn't do anything at the combine. He didn't do anything here or there. And he's not, I, I would be shocked if he's on anybody's, you know, early second round rookie, like rookie sheet. And it actually makes people, you know, read into and, uh, look Look at what they're actually evaluating. And I think consumption of information is important, but at the end of the day, you kind of have to make your own opinions about things. And I think that's what your profile, like the, the scouting prof, like profile, it, it's what it promotes. It's saying like, this is what they do on the field. You can either take their athleticism with it and, and run with it or or not. It's, you know, make the, the decisions up to you and you either pl- place this player in wherever your draft is and whatever you're doing. And that's why I really loved reading about it. And I love the section about of my rankings suck, but they're here. And you go through exactly why people are ranked away because you went through these checkpoints and then you didn't factor anything else into it. Yeah. And I'm glad you do. And, and it's validating because, you know, I've had lots of people over the years try to give me advice about what they think I should do and how I should do it because they're thinking from a business standpoint, how you should make money, how you should do this, how you should do that. And for me, it's always been, I want to be authentic about what I do. That's very important to me. Um, and so I wanted to take people through my process and I wanted to do it somewhat intelligently or as intelligently as I can make it. Um, and, you know, whatever those limitations are for me, um, I, I felt like I didn't want to limit my readers. And I want intelligent readers. I want a discerning audience. I don't want just everyone. The person who's like, 
a person who just wants rankings and wants the safe thing at the end of the day, they can look at my stuff and do that. And if they're disappointed because they looked at, you know, 20 pages out of a 1734 page document and decided that, that it was worthless to them. That's okay. It's, it's not really a phone. It's not really a phone reader. It's yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's, it's you know, like, oh, geez. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I bookmark everything. It's a 430 page draft guide that you are going to read that stuff. You'll be able to pick around that. And it's meant as a two to three year reference guide. It's not meant to be consumed all at once. You know, I know that's not likely going to happen with a lot of people unless they've got vacation time. So, you know, it's one of those things where I try to make it a handy reference, but at the same time, I don't want to be, you know, if I was going to compete with NFL network, I'd lose every time. I'm one guy. What, what, you know, how am I going to do that? You know, I'm not going to, I don't have a direct line to GMs. I don't have a direct line to all sorts of players. I don't get to guess and follow with mock drafts. I'm not trying to be dressed up in a suit and be a GM. I mean, it's like I got people in the league who I've gotten to have a chance to talk to, but, and who, who consume my work and that's great. But I don't have any of that. I'm pretend GM and I'm going to take you through it and entertain you that way. It's more like, look, here's what I know. Here's what I can see. And I'm going to try and look at things from a business perspective because I was a manager because I worked with C-suites because I've worked with people who make dumb, dysfunctional decisions in corporate life. And they, the same things happen in the NFL. And also the same, uh, they made good decisions. And here's what happens in the NFL that's also good. And I can apply that and I can give you that information and I can try and deliver it in a way that gives you lots of choices and options and, and considers your intelligence that you want to think about this, that you have your own opinions, that you may be thinking something and I'm going to, and I write this and I go, I know my audience is going to see this and they're going to ask this question. So how can I anticipate that and give them some answers with it as opposed to say, here's the sound bite click me and it's over with, you know, I'm, I will never be clickbait because that's just not how I am and I'm not going to be. And so, you know, will I have, you know, will I make a million dollars a year doing this? Never, probably, you know, you know but it never, but it will probably be, but you know, but will I be able, but I've, I've been able to come home now to do this and it took 13 years to do, but you know, it, it's because I want, I'd rather attract an audience that wants to strive and get better and to be, and have some level of intelligence with what they do. And if that means that I lose out on the masses, that's okay. Cause they would have been lost on, I would have been lost on them anyway. So. One of the things I want to talk about is, and this will lead to a discussion of a specific player is you referred to your YouTube videos, the RSP boiler room videos, and I love learning about football by watching those videos. When I work out on the treadmill, uh, I watch those videos. You know, that's what, that's what I'm doing. I'm working out. So um, one of, you have several about Justin Jackson. It's, it's pretty obvious that you love Justin Jackson. It, oh, it, you, know, you don't have to, to buy the RSP. You should because it's amazing. But um, you've like, like six videos on Justin Jackson or something like that. Um, so do you want to talk about him? Because you know he's a guy that – um, is uh, is uh, the third leading rusher in Big Ten history. So he was incredibly productive in college. And y you highlight in those videos 
his elusiveness, um, his, his skill set. You you claim he has lands the more stiff arms on the Heisman Trophy, which is a great quote from the RSP. So talk about <laughs> Justin Jackson just for for a minute and why you why you're so high on this guy. I just you know. I like Jamal Charles coming out of school when Jamal, you know, that was the last great draft class that I think was 2008. It was Charles and Chris Johnson and Shard Mendenhall. Um, who was it? Matt Forte. Darren McFadden was a part of that class who I never really liked him all that much. And Felix Jones, another one I didn't like all that much compared to some of these other guys, but sitting in the back of the class kind of doodling in his notebook, you know, he, if this, if this running back class was like a math class, he was that kid who was getting like C's and C pluses and B minuses on all his quizzes. But it was cause he was distracted doing physics problems, like three grades higher than, than where he was. Cause he just wanted to try stuff. He was not just bored with class. Class was boring, and forget algebra. Forget algebra. I'm like in the calculus problems right was now. He, you know, was he I'm asking not, why? Yeah, exactly. He might have been asking why too. You know, he might have been. He might have asked why in like third grade, and, <laughs> and he asked it so many times that they shut him down. So he just stuck to reading comic books and learning math on the side when he got home because that was fun for him. So Jamal Charles was that kind of guy in at Texas, like. He tried to bounce things outside, you know, in ways that you're just like, you just did that because you wanted to see if you could. Like, I mean, that's kind of how I felt sometimes. I, I, you can't say that for sure, but it felt that way when I was watching him. He took too many chances, you know, if you're looking at it straight. But I wondered if that was the case because sometimes he'd hit them and you'd go, he's doing stuff no one else in this class can do. And if he figures out how to be mature – he could be a superstar, and he did. He turned into a superstar that way. And one of the things about Jamal Charles is that he was very good after contact, and he was good at initiating contact. We think of power runners as guys who, you know, push the pile and break multiple tackles and do what Adrian Peterson did, you know. But Jamal Charles had great power for his size because he understood how to initiate that first contact so that he could make that second move before the first defend, before the defender had a chance to react. He would, you know, he'd deliver the forearm and spin off the guy, you know, but he'd hit him hard enough with that contact that it was to set up the move. And Justin Jackson does that. Justin Jackson also has that really strong burst, that great change of direction. He's also been a load carrier. I mean, he's, He's, he hasn't been hurt, and he's played all this time. And people always ask me, well, are you concerned about his workload? I'm like, well, I wasn't concerned about the workload of all these other backs, namely Adrian Peterson or Cedric Benson, even whether they were good or great in the NFL. If they showed they were capable of carrying the load if they were capable of carrying the load in college at a high level and didn't get hurt. And, you know, to me, I think about being injured as more of a – nagging injuries are they consistently having a sprained ankle or or a knee strain or a muscle tear or something that keeps them out two to three games or limits them for five to six or you know that's more concerning to me than a guy who tears three ligaments in his knee and is out for a year and comes back and looks fine you know so when you look at Justin Jackson he didn't have any of those issues he just he just flat out carried the load for them and he's got the quickness. He's got that after-contact skill. Yeah, the stiff arms are just beautiful because, I mean, that's just one of those things that 
he can land them from any angle. It's like a boxer with a great jab. I mean, he can throw that thing like, you know, from just about whether they're coming at you or they're coming from behind or whether he's, you know, whether he's landing it on the helmet or on the shoulder, on the neck, he knows how to, where to land it and, and use it as a leverage tool as well as a physical tool or to use the forearm and propel himself over a guy to get that extra yardage. He's very smart about how he runs. And I know that he didn't have a huge showing at the East West game, trying game, but running back, running back practices are kind of lame at those, at those games. I mean, I've been to the senior bowl for 10 years now and you're not going to see a, a ton there. That's really going to apply to what happens on the field. Um, you know, you'll see little things that might be helpful, but I wasn't really concerned that he didn't get elevated to the senior bowl this year. And the senior, and I love the guys at the senior bowl, but you know, at the same time, I can't say that their selection of running backs has always been my favorite of, of their choices about players. So when I look at Jackson, is he the next Jamal Charles? I don't know. That's a real tough call to make, but uh, he's a guy that I'd be willing to make the take the chance on, especially where we're going to be able to get him and say, and see what happens. He's probably going to be labeled a scat back and he'll have to prove that he's wow, way better than we thought. Yeah, we in this the draft I was telling you about. We took him up with a three oh eight, so you know that gives you an idea of at least right now wh- where he's going. So, and I feel I feel like that's kind of a win. I mean, I remember seeing. It's funny because I don't remember a lot of Justin Jackson when Iowa beat Northwestern. Because uh, I mean, obviously, big Iowa fan here, Matt. You might not know that yet, but uh, <laughs> when when Northwestern beat Iowa, he was such a big thorn in the side. Like it's just uh, looking back, I, just, I had to look it up because I had to see. Because you got to put some stats out there, right? Like, so at Iowa in 2016, Justin Jackson went for 26 carries, 171 yards, and a touchdown. And he just, like, they won 38 to 31. There's a close game, but he dominated a lot of that game. And it was horrible to watch as an Iowa fan because we've got Northwestern and us have always had this like, weird rivalry of, like, who's going to be the most mediocre that year for, for a little bit. Unless. One of us is really good, and I was kind of gotten the better of that. But at the end of the day, like he, he four year starter who's done what he's done. It, you can't to compare somebody to Jamal Charles is such a risky move. You really can't. But somebody who's slider of frame comparatively and played in a different offensive system than what you're used to. And Northwestern isn't like a, a, an NFL powerhouse. You know, you don't he, you don't watch Northwestern games. They're not on. They're going to be that main game on even at 11 a.m. Uh, Central Time, noon Eastern. <laughs> the chances are you're not going to end up watching them. So I'll be interested to where he lands. And again, that matters so much with running backs. Absolutely. Matt, I have a question. Are you, um, you still consider yourself a Browns fan? I heard you say earlier that you were a Browns fan. Like what, what's uh what's your stance on, on Browns fandom? I'm a, um, how would I best put it? Um, I am, I'm a fan of the NFL. <laughs> And I like teams. And the last team that I've really been a fan of has been Seattle when Marshawn Lynch got traded from Buffalo. Yeah. And so I'm a Seattle fan. And then it got even bigger when Russell Wilson came because I was a big Russell Wilson fan. So I've been that's the fat the team I've followed. I tend to follow regimes, four three defenses with tight man to man coverage corners, yeah. strong running games with smart quarterbacks. And that tends to be my teams I'm attracted to. That's why I've kind of liked what I've seen with the Rams and the Vikings 
and the, and I'd even say, you know, but I'm also liking what I see with the chiefs because I like Patrick Mahomes and, mm-hmm. and I like them getting Sammy Watkins, but as for the Browns, I'll put it this way. I will probably never be the fan of any team like I was when I was a Browns fan until they left for the Baltimore Ravens. And so that's, you know, the Browns contingency of podcasters that I've been on their shows have said they'd absolve me of my sins and welcome me back (laughs) as a diehard fan, um, you know, if I'd like. And I would like that. I just don't know if I'm ever going to feel that way again. I'm hoping so. But I'll always have – I'll always – hope for the best for them, but I don't know if I'm going to have that passion for them like a lot of my family does. So I have to ask you, and we don't have to dig really deep into this, um, but I'm a little puzzled because it appears, I mean, on Twitter, following the different um, analysts and, you know, mostly fantasy and dynasty related, it doesn't appear like there's many people, there's a ton of red flags huge concerns about Josh Allen and you know he's got the arm best arm in the in the class no question but yet beyond that and and the scrambling ability and and he's obviously got some great tools but the red flags are just everywhere so I'm just puzzled as to why I mean and and maybe it is just smoke I'm, I'm so curious to see who the Browns take first overall but there's so much smoke I mean I I'm gonna be shocked in two weeks if they don't take Josh Allen based on all of the people that are saying and, and what they're saying, it's, I mean, it's, these are not just people, you know, these are people that are well-connected in the NFL. Yeah. And, and it's a little puzzling to me with guys like Darnold and Josh Rosen, who I think have such both safety and upside. Um, do you have a feel for, you know, I, I kind of have read what you wrote in the RSP about Josh Allen, but I'm just a little curious, like how is it, that in the fantasy and dynasty world, are we just so far off? What is it that, that possibly um, Dorsey sees in Josh Allen? And, and do you, do you kind of get the feel that that's who they're going to take at one overall? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, I would recommend this for further um, study. You can go to my RSP film room and check out um, Josh Allen, a deep dive. And it, I think it gives a fair, as one of, one of my colleagues said, it gives a fairly nuanced take into this whole thing and kind of explains it, but I'll give you the short version, which is that NFL teams are rooted in their evaluation processes, which are often rooted in what our parents and grandparents looked at at quarterback, because those are the decision makers and the age that they are when they came up in the league. And the league is a family company in a sense where People started off on the low rungs and worked their way up. That's how it works. And if you've ever worked for companies like that, you know that there's a lot of old school thinking. No one understands us other than ourselves. We're the best at what we do. And, you know, these other people just don't get it. And we'll go and search for key things that may work, help us out. But whenever they suggest something that may be a little outside the box for us, we're just going to look at them and say, well, you don't really understand what we do. And We'll, we'll just handle it from here. There's a little bit of arrogance with that. Um, and so the NFL with these older guys, they look at Terry Bradshaw, they look at John Elway, Brett Favre, um, you know, anybody with the big arm, and they think, we want a guy who can shed defenders, who's played out of under center, who's operated in the play-action game, who can run or throw us out of trouble when situations arise, 
and they've played at a big program. And when you see Josh Allen, that's what you get. You get all those things. You get a guy who can make throws that no one can. You get a, someone who can shake off defenders and maybe keep the play alive. You get someone who has a good play-action game, who's operating a three, five, and seven-step drop environment. Um, so they see – and they see the physical components and say, yeah, well – if his intellect's good, well, he took the wonder lick and he had a good reten- memory retention because it tests memory and book learning. So, you know, traditional companies, they go, do they have the good book learning? Do they have the, do they have the right bullet points that we look for that we can judge? And the answer to him is yes. All of the things are yes, all of the above. The problem is, is that where the NFL's kind of behind the curve and they've repeatedly been behind the curve for years, but don't really acknowledge and they just write it off as we don't, no one knows, no one's ever going to know. And it's part of hidden arrogance, I think more than anything. And, and they don't, and it's unintentional arrogance is that they don't understand how to study the emotional quotient of a player, the emotional intelligence of someone and emotional intelligence is, you know, I, I explained this earlier today to somebody is that it's like being in the classroom you know, if you in the classroom, you know, guy, you, you knew kids in the classroom or your classmates who like, they knew everything. They write, you know, who remembers everything? They knew every fact, every skill. They knew every formula. They could recite it all back to you. But then they had a real life problem that required some sort of level of putting all that stuff together and using it in an imaginative way. And there was like one dude who, or maybe three people who could do that. And probably two of them were the worst students in the class, not the smartest students in the class. The, the, the smartest kids were the Hermione Grangers. Right. Of the, of the right. Classroom. So you're looking at you're that. Potter. Yeah. And so when you look at that, it's one of those deals where you just end up in a situation where the NFL doesn't know how to grade for that. They don't know how to account for that. So I think that, you know, the stats people don't like him because he's got that, he's under 60%. You know, at the same time, there are other, you know, when you look at just grouping things together and being able to like make imaginative, productive plays based on the stimuli in front of you, like reading defenses and making the right decision pre-snap to look at a certain side of the field or not abandon something or not to, or not failing to account for down and distance when you're, when you're making a decision and putting your team in more trouble Josh Allen does all those things wrong on a consistent basis. He has some issues. He has some things where he gets them right just enough that it's easy for a decision maker to go, oh, look at him climb the pocket there. He, did, he climbed the pocket very well and made that throw and did this. Well, obviously he's not what everyone says he is and because they saw two instances of that or three instances of or once a game. But – they're, and so they're going, he's capable of doing that, but they're ignoring maybe the five to seven instances per game where he shows the exact opposite. And so, you know, it's like I remember seeing someone talk about Alex Smith as a first-round pick, and people were – there were some scouts. Dave Rosano was a former scout with the 49ers, um, during, and he was during the Bill Walsh years, and his dad was a director of scouting, I believe, at that time. And he was on that Rams staff when apparently he had graded Alex Smith as a fourth or fifth round guy who was a promising fourth or fifth round guy could help him a starter one day, but was no way the number one overall pick. And the GM and him got in an argument because apparently the GM 
bought into all the Gil Brandt, into the Mike Mayock, into the whole big draft type of thing, what was going on, and was like, look, Dave, I want, you, I want all the scouts here to change their grade. So he comes downstairs and says, I have a videotape. I want you to watch this and do your grades off this videotape. It was 20 plays, and they were all completions. And that's what they wanted the grades to be. Mm. And this was, this was interviewed as told by Mike Silver in Sports Illustrated. You can read it there. You can look it up. And basically, he was like, no, I'm not changing my grades. I've done like – I've watched X amount of games over the course of X amount of months, years, whatever it was. And you're asking me to like do a hit clip to like grade these guys? He just – he, I'd rather you. I'd rather have Jeff Smoker out of Michigan State or whatever it was. <laughs> I mean, she'll only watch highlights, you know, right? Because, yeah, yeah that's what you want me to do. No, and they they literally had to be pulled apart from each other in the argument that they had. So, you know, again, it's a combination of all the factors that I mentioned here that probably feed into the Josh Allen thing. Some of them are very legit. Some of them may be colored by their their experiences in the environment that that's, has developed in the NFL. Yeah, it's just amazing to me that they're so – I mean, with the NFL being a, a multi, multi-million dollar industry and these teams being worth just ridiculous amounts of money that, um, like you said, that they're so behind the times. Um, but, you know, read the paper, you know, the front page of our paper, read whatever political persuasion you yeah. are. You know, you can look at our government, you can look at any government, you can look at any business and read about what businesses do. Hollywood's a multi-million dollar industry, oh, billion yeah. dollar industry. And some of the things we see coming out of that is like horrific and people attribute it to being art, but a lot of it's just bad business. Yeah. And some of it's just business that's worked because there's no other competition for that. So it's like... Like eyes wide shut, you know what I'm saying? I've been really trying to get behind <laughs> the Browns. Like I've been trying to get behind. I'm, I, I really love what they've yeah. done with a, a compiling the draft capital. I love what they did going out and getting Landry, bringing in Tyrod. I, I just, I, so there's a part of me, I don't have a true, you know, I'm not a passionate fan of any NFL team. And I'm really beginning to follow very closely the Browns and what they're doing. And I'm super bummed, man. Like I, I really, like, Darnold sitting there wrote and I'm like you're gonna take Allen and I mean I hope yeah. like you said in your RSP you hope you're wrong and I hope I'm wrong and I hope he turns yeah. out to be uh, a great quarterback for them if, if they do take him but I'm just I mean oh man I uh, to have two of the top four picks in a in a um, draft with these quarterback options and to come away with with Josh Allen would be troubling so It'll be interesting. Yeah, and, 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 uh, and you know, you want to always want to wish the best for a player. And I just sent that thing out where it was, you know, who improved their completion percentage from their best year in college to the NFL, even beyond that. Like, I tried to do as best as I could to be objective, just just based on numbers. And there was, like, four players in the last 18 years. Like, it's it's a pretty insane amount to – because the NFL completion percentage to be successful basically has to be over 60 if you're going to be a good uh, NFL quarterback at that point. And just a, that statistical outlier uh, baffles my mind. And if the but if the Browns go like Josh Allen, Saquon Barkley, I, I how it just I'm just gonna I'm just gonna maybe I'll have like a you know like like a little like a little sleep cry or something about it. I think I think he can be a I think he can be a successful starter. I just think that it's going to require more time than what they're going to give him to do. Um, and I think that that's part of the problem. You know, completion percentage is an interesting factor because, you know, at the same time, that's probably why Lamar Jackson is getting dinged at the same time. 
But then you can also look at a player that like um, Russell Wilson, you know, Russell Wilson was an over 60% completion thrower at Wisconsin. But the thing that separated him on tape for me that from all the other quarterback prospects in that terrific draft class, that why I liked him as a sleeper was that he was at what he did at North Carolina state. And he never completed 60% of his passes at North Carolina state. He was asked to do a lot of what Josh uh, Lamar Jackson was asked to do, which was play behind a bad offensive line, run around, create, and have to deal with difficult situations um, and have receivers who drop passes. So, you know, there's a lot of factors involved in that, that, that make the, it hard to correlate that, but the NFL tends to do so. So unfortunately, we have precious little time left. Um, we'd love to ask you about some of our favorites like Kyle Aletta and Ryan Nall and Justin Watson. How was life in Athens? <laughs> the list goes on and on. But let, let, let's, Matt, let's get you out of here. Tell us where we can find your work. How can people purchase the RSP? And tell us about you, you, when you buy the RSP, you're actually doing some good. So can you talk about the, the cause that it goes to as well? Sure. The, the, you can get the RSP at www.mattwaldmanrsp.com um, and you'll be able to find it there and get the information that you need to download it. You get the post draft for free you know, or as a part of the package. Let's say that it's part of the package. Um, it comes out no later than a week after the draft. I email you and let you know when it's ready for download. You get a buy and a login um, to get it. Um, it's $21.95 for the two pieces that you're going to get of content. It also puts you onto an email newsletter that I'm going to start this year. That'll be available once a month, June through December. That'll give you updates about what I think about these rookies. In addition to maybe some sneak a peek looks at um, the 2019 class. Um, And as you mentioned, Ryan, um, 10% of every sale goes to darkness to light. And it's an organization that is a charitable group that's devoted to preventing sexual abuse in communities. Um, sexual abuse of children. So what they do is they can, they, they do training with individuals, with municipal groups, with businesses, with schools, um, universities, you know, athletic programs, and, and really work with them about not only how to prevent abuse and recognize these situations before they can, you know, something bad can happen, but also when they do happen how to be able to handle that so that they don't compound the damage upon the victim. Because that's oftentimes one of the worst things about abuse is that, you know, no one believes them or, you know, sides with the, with, with the person who committed it or tries to hide it. And it creates even more issues. And oftentimes that's what makes it so difficult. So that's what it's being donated to. And I've been doing that since 2012. um, And it's a great organization. Um, I highly recommend you checking them out. Yeah, we'll we'll put a link in the show notes to check out the organization. So everybody, Fantasy Joes, Matt Waldman, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. It was awesome to talk to you. Thanks so much, man. It was a lot of fun, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Fantasy Joes. You can contact us directly at thefantasyjoes at gmail.com or at ffjoes on Twitter. Your feedback is welcome. Let us know how we're doing and what you want from us. We come at you weekly on Fridays with new episodes, but be sure to subscribe. It helps us out, and that way you'll never miss an episode. And leave us a review, but only, of course, if it's a positive one. You can find us on Twitter. Trey is at Trey Barrett. Will is at FantasyJoe underscore Will. And I'm at Roto Librarian. On behalf of Trey Barrett and Will Greenwood, I'm Ryan Livergood, and we are the Fantasy Joes. 
And I am William Greenwood, Tour the Fantasy Joes. We're the Fantasy oh. Joes. Happy With- National Library Week, everybody. Is it really that? It is National Library, Library Week, yes. Also, like Ashley Siblings Day on Tuesday. I don't believe this. <laughs> the Siblings Day is made up. Uh, I guess you could say National Library Week is... Library Week has been... The American Library Association has sanctioned this week for many, many years, my friend. Oh, that's all right. I'll send you a gift. I'd I'd appreciate that. It's going to be a Viking. I'd appreciate that. I would really appreciate it. I'd take a Vikings jersey. Stefan Diggs is my my request. You'll get what you get what you get.